Welcome back to the Dating by Design podcast. I'm your host, Jordan, and today I have a special guest, Krista Aldrich. Krista and I go way back, and I am so excited to talk to her today about one of the cornerstones of modern feminist thought, the male gaze. Welcome, Krista. Why don't you start by introducing yourself? Hello. Okay, uh, so yeah, like you said, my name is Krista. I am a current, I guess, going into third year uh, PhD student at Louisiana State University. Um, I, like Jordan said, I we go way back. We attended college together for our undergrad. I did my master's at NDSU where I focused um, within feminist theory and Anita Luce's book, Gentlemen Before Blondes. So, I mean, that's kind of just me in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, One of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you is because, like, you are one of the people in my life who has been studying feminist theory and literature just as long as I have. So, yeah, I just really, like, respect your perspective. So, do you think that having all of this deep knowledge about feminism um, affects your dating life in any way? I think, um, yeah, I would say that if the guy just is kind of um, saying things that, like, don't align or if there's kind of these, like, red flags where, um, like, well, you're not like other girls, like, red flag, Um, (laughs) you know, or even, I think, to an extent, like, the way that they present themselves on on dating apps or you know in in life um i love it if they say that they're a feminist i love it even more if they show they're a feminist yeah that's such a good way to say that mm-hmm. um so i feel like so many men um have like kind of gotten hip to the fact that if they say that they're a feminist they're gonna attract smart independent women but then they don't actually do the work to be like real feminists yes I think that they want, they like, it's like lip service. So it's like, they are hip to the fact that they can get, you know, these um, strong, independent women. And then they're like, oh, shit, I don't actually want this thing. Um. Totally. Yeah. I And that's something that I talked about recently on the Instagram stories. Like, I went on a, a couple of dates with this guy who, like, on our first date, I was like, here are my expectations for communication. Um, I'm extremely independent. And a lot of guys will say, I want an independent woman. But then when she actually is independent, they get mad that she's not, like, waiting on him um, to like text her or isn't able to do everything that he wants on a whim like I have my own life Mm -hmm. right you know this 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 guy that this specific one especially was one of the like most feminist seeming men that I had been on date with in a long time I think part of it too is that um to an extent I think sometimes guys identify as feminist without like digging deeper as to like what that means um on the surface, it's just like, yes, I'm a feminist because I think that men and women should have the same rights. But they don't, like, do the work to, like, unpack all of the things that societally they have learned about women. Or, like, the the cultural cues and codes that they see on the daily in, like, advertisements and commercials and movies and songs and, like, 
everything. <laughs> yeah, um, I think importantly too there is like a lot of men are unwilling to grapple with the parts of like patriarchy that they benefit from. Um, they're unwilling to give up that power. And of course, you know, we see that with all sorts of movements, you know, like um, the, the Black Lives Matter movement. It's really hard for historically excluded groups to make any progress if the people in power who say that they're allies aren't willing to give up some of their power to ensure, you know, future equality. They're like, yeah, I don't, you know, want to call out my male friends for their misogyny because, uh, you know, that takes away some of our power. Mm-hmm. I also think that part of it is for for men that, like, they can call themselves a feminist, but maybe they're also not listening to their women friends mm-hmm. in a way that they that they should. Um if, if they have women friends, um, <laughs> which might also be like a little bit of a like, yeah, yeah, that's so true. <laughs> I'm like you're a feminist, but you don't have female friends. Okay, mm, okay, that seems let's, let's... sketchy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so, is there anything uh, that you've like learned about yourself recently related to like dating or relationships, anything like that? So just to, for context, I feel like while I've been in the South, I've mostly been dating my PhD program because um, I've i learned, I guess, that I can have blinders as, to, and I don't know if it's like an ADD thing or if it's a, um, just like the workload of a PhD program, um, but I get, I get so focused on like completing this one thing that, you know, I haven't even really put myself mm-hmm. out there but I had a friend tell me when I started my PhD program, because I was kind of like, I would like a partner, um, but I also feel like I want them for the wrong reasons. I'm like, I want somebody to help me make the bed, and I want somebody to, like, slide me a plate of food as I'm, like, forgetting to eat and writing, you know, all of these really, like, cutesy, like, couple things, um, but they're all, like, labor-based, and I'm like, I don't know, I don't know if that's, like, the right reason for wanting it but I had a friend tell me that PhD programs are like they're great if you go in with a partner um but it's like next to impossible to like find a partner and do the PhD program at the same time which I think makes a lot a lot of sense yeah that Um, does make a lot of sense it's so hard yeah. yeah like you're saying it you you're so like your entire life revolves around your PhD program and I don't have a PhD but you know in my master's program that was how I felt like I had no time for anything and I was actually dating during my master's program and that was a terrible idea I had no time to like put in the effort to like improve myself or to nurture a healthy relationship um yeah it's it's really hard to balance something that takes up your whole life and so many people also maybe tendentially like expect partners to just kind of like fall in their lap and without having to like put the work in to like cultivate a like an environment that is welcoming to the type of partner that you want um and it sounds like you at least have the self-awareness to understand that like this environment is not welcoming to a partnership right now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I, that doesn't necessarily mean like I'm like, God damn it, somebody just help me make this goddamn bed. <laughs> oh, I know, I get that all the like I just want somebody to help me with domestic tasks sometimes. They're so like maintaining a household and working full time and just like being yeah. a human is just oh my god, so much fucking work. 
I'm like, I have to, so you're telling me I have to go to the store to shop for the food, make the food, and also clean up? It's a scam. Like, what kind? <laughs> it's all a fucking scam. <laughs> Yeah. And I also should, I wouldn't want that in a partner. Yeah. Like the way that I am right now, I, you know, I have to spend so much energy and time working on all of the things alongside, you know, teaching and all of, so it's just like, there's just, there's not enough time in the world. Or at least if there is, I am choosing not to make that time because I want to get this degree. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's a, a really beautiful, I think, conscious choice to make. Um, and also, like, living under capitalism itself, like, late capitalism is exhausting. And doing it alone is a nightmare sometimes. And so, yeah, I think it's only natural to want somebody around to, like, help sort of share the burden with you. But also, you know, recognizing that there are certain things you want for yourself in life and it's okay to, like, focus on those things and pursue them for a little while. Um, and maybe not prioritize partnership, um, which I think goes against the way that most of us, especially you and I, were raised, um, which is like this focus on finding a partner. Yeah, I think that that is accurate. I think partially um, being, you know, uh, raised in the time that we are, but also I think coming from the the Midwest, um, even, even if like, like mm-hmm. my parents are, are obviously great. Um, and there were ne- not necessarily wasn't ever like Krista, you need to get married, but it was always like these subtle things of, um, you know, like weddings get celebrated more than graduations or, um, kind of not necessarily snide remarks, but like remarks of like, Oh, like when are you going to get married? And it doesn't necessarily only come from Mm -hmm. a family it comes from like everybody or like guys guys are just um too intimidated by you and i'm like i don't care so we are here today to talk about the male gaze um that's g-a-z-e not (laughs) g-a-y-s my uh the instagram captions feature always changes it to to gaze (laughs) (laughs) instead of gaze with a z we're here to talk about the male gaze um, so I wanted to start by like defining what it is. So what what is the male gaze? So kind of like a, a small crash course. So the male gaze comes from film theory with uh, from the author Laura Mulvey, I believe. And um, it's essentially in film kind of the way that I'm going to say like most <laughs> most movies work or most television um, type recordings work I guess are the way that women are framed within these things so the way that uh Mulvey explains it it's like women serve this purpose was like I think she calls it like a to be looked atness basically that they're not necessarily there for the plot they're not necessarily um doing anything for the story they're just there to like be looked at or that's the way that they're framed um they are there for to serve a purpose for the man in some way shape or form um Mm -hmm. and i think you can see this very well um like the thing that comes to mind a couple of things are like early bond girls i think is a really good example um i think of (laughs) the way that like the typical woman coming out of like the like the the ocean kind of shot um or even 
I think, of, like, final girls in horror. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so what I'm hearing is that, like, it's this concept that um, the way that media is, like, visual media is shot shows that men see women as objects to be, like, viewed and consumed. Yes, heterosexual men is, like, the the thing. Like, I think that often is, like, implied, but I did want to, like, kind of have that, that caveat. It was, like, women are painted or seen through the eyes and the camera becomes the eyes, I guess, um, of the heterosexual man. So then they become objectified. Right. Totally. Um, can you talk a little bit about how that shows up in like literature for you since you are, that's like your wheelhouse? Yes. A hundred percent. Um, so I think a big part of, for me, like when thinking, when I'm thinking about the male gaze, I'm also thinking about, who wrote the roles women are often written in. Um, And that goes back to my kind of ground text um, is Sandra Gilbert and Susan Gubar. Um, Yes, right? Mad Women in the Attic. (laughs) I'm making hard hearts with my hands because I love them so much. (laughs) They're so good. Um, So yeah, the text is Mad Women in the Attic. And essentially it's that women are written, they're often written... um, with this idea of what it means to be feminine. And considering that the earlier written works, and they spo- they focus specific- specifically on Victorian lit, um, were written primarily by men, that men simply created what it means to be a woman. So they wrote it like they're like, oh, I know what it means to be a man, therefore being a woman is just the opposite of that. And so they mm-hmm. identify it as... Um, being a man means being aggressive and so if a woman is aggressive therefore she is a monster and Mm -hmm. so in my own work in gentlemen prefer blondes and you might have or your listeners might be more familiar with the movie but read the book because it's amazing (laughs) (laughs) in the book so there's the main character her name is Lorelai Lee and when you read it you're not really sure is she the gold digger or is she the con artist and i'm like she doesn't have to be either of those and so you even you know you even think about like the roles that you see women in you know uh like the princess or the final girl or the the evil stepmother right so thinking about the way that they act kind of frames how they're going to be painted. So the evil stepmother is evil because maybe she's kind of aggressive or, you know, making make, making moves. And I think of Margaret Atwood, Atwood had a short story called Unpopular Gals where she writes from the perspective of the, the evil stepmother. And it's like, I just get stuff done. And mm-hmm. I think you can even think about the way that female characters are introduced in literature um oftentimes you get like gobs of physical description like before anything else I think of the I don't remember what the the tag is but it was like this was clearly written by a man um yeah it was you know like she like stretched boobily (laughs) 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 all of these things are just permutations essentially of this male gaze but instead of it being written through like the lens of a camera the pen I guess becomes that lens Mm -hmm. Um, and and even women they they might use the same framework 
Um, yeah. Un, you know, unknowingly because it permeates so much into right. our society. Yeah, it's like a, um, it's just how we're socialized. Everything from the media that we consume to like the interactions that we have with other people to like the way that our, our parents raise us um, is all affected or influenced by this male gaze. You know, like where women are valued for their sexuality and the, the pleasure that looking at them or like consuming them brings to men rather than their inherent value as human beings. And I think this also, you know, extends to having like pretty big impacts on our lives and, you know, the, the pressure to stay in an unhappy marriage um, or even like catcalling. Like all of this, I think, is at least based somewhat in this concept of the male gaze. Mm-hmm. I think that it's also related to, um, I think, I feel like you'll appreciate this because we've had discussions before where you're like, I hate happy endings in literature. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like this um, desire to stay in an unhappy relationship also is related to like the lie of a happily ever after within literature or within movies, right? Because um, uh, like we have to think about one, who's been constructing what it means for like what what a happily ever after is. Two, what does a happily ever after do? Um, and the oh, like the secret for the second one is that a happily ever after simply, oftentimes, not always, uh, reinscribes gender norms, expectations, right? So thinking about, you know, you might have this really kick-ass female character and she's like amazing. And then at the end, it's like, and she got married. <laughs> or like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, you know, everything was fine. And like... Oftentimes, if there is the marriage like part, or even I think a relationship, oftentimes it is couched within like, and they lived happily ever after. And I'm like, okay, but that just like you just undid everything that was cool. Yeah, because um, like what you're saying, right, is that uh, even if we have like this really amazing strong female character, she still is not complete unless she has a man, unless she gets married. Yeah, or, like, that's that's what matters. Like, that's, yeah. that's like, the defining and that, thing. And that's reinforced by what you are saying earlier about how we celebrate weddings more than graduations. We mm-hmm. celebrate, like, uh, these, you know, the, basically the continuation of the patriarchy <laughs> yeah. rather than, like, you know, actual, you know, accomplishments. Not And then this might, this might be sort of a hot take, but, like, getting married is not an accomplishment. Sure, ha- having a marriage that has lasted for 30, 40, 50 years, that's an accomplishment. Bravo. But, like, getting married, it doesn't require that much effort. Like, <laughs> you nope, know what I mean? Sure, like, sure doesn't. Graduating uh, from a PhD program, on the other hand, like, when you graduate from this program, you're probably going to get, like, you know, a couple cards in the mail and, like, some shout outs on Instagram. But if you were to get married, your entire extended family would send you gifts and money and come mm-hmm. to a party. Why don't we do that for yeah. other things like jobs and graduations? Yeah, it's like we have to, well, we have to, like, rewrite what success means. So we were talking about how the male gaze kind of shows up in, like, culture and just, like, society more broadly. But I kind of want to bring that back a little bit to dating and relationships more specifically. And you mentioned something earlier that I said I wanted to flag, and this was the thing. I was told by my own mother when I was probably 19 or 20 
that I needed to stop seeming so smart around boys because they didn't like that. Stop it. Yeah. (laughs) Mom, if you're listening to this, that was bad advice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like, it hurts so much because I feel like like women hear that shit all the time in some way shape or form whether it's like you need to stop being x right you need to stop being like you're too smart or like you're too intimidating or there's always somebody that's trying to like police us back into this very predefined box and that box is the male gaze essentially um Mm -hmm. like like they can only understand us through this construct that they have made and it's like when a woman doesn't align with that anymore some men just like don't know what to do or like they can't cannot compute yeah basically (laughs) yeah i think that so much of my romantic and sexual development was influenced by growing up under the male gaze like as a bi woman i wonder often if i'm like performing for the male gaze by like wearing certain things or like putting on makeup or if those things are like Mm -hmm. true expressions of my personality and that does sometimes come out like i i do dress differently sometimes when i go on dates with women versus when i go on dates with men but the weird thing is is that i often put in more effort into my appearance when I'm dating men even though women are the ones who are more likely to notice and appreciate it okay that's interesting so then like okay so when you go out like not on a date like let's just say you're you're going to a club for dancing mm-hmm. who who are you dressing for myself I okay. would, like so that's a, that's a really good question. So I, you know, I go out dancing like eh, once a month or so with my friends, and most of my friends here are gay men. And uh, I, you, I always wear something sexy, and like you know, I put on a lot of makeup. I do my hair. It's like a whole ritual. And so I, I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with like wanting um, like re- like positive reinforcement from your friends. Um, I'm glad you asked that question because it's clarifying for me in this process of saying this that like even when I am dressing up for a date with a man, um, it's still at the core of it is for me. I I went through sort of a period in my life where I was like, do I actually like men or do I only care if they like me? Oh, that's like, that's deep. Like, that's a deep thought though, because I think even the positioning of like dating apps, I think kind of like going back to the male gaze, except for bumblebee or is it bumble yeah um okay like all of those i think to an extent not that they are inherent to that dating app but i think that there is kind of a i'm just waiting for somebody to swipe on me Mm. and oftentimes it's kind of within that male gaze i think because it's like going back to this idea of a aggressive woman, you know, um, you might just kind of wait. And the way that I was thinking about it earlier is it's almost like within dating apps or within a venue where somebody might come up to you. Um, I think that it's like women to an extent within this conversation for the male gaze, it's like they're waiting to be activated. Like the like the male gaze almost activates. Um, I think that like I think that there are ways to use dating apps very knowingly. Um, I just don't know how many people do. Yeah, 
recently some like feminist scholars and like popular uh, media writers have been imagining what the world would look like if we shifted to like a female gaze. I don't like oh that's that's tricky because I think to to some extent yes um you know I think I I. I'm cheating because I saw your Instagram post from a while ago of, like, the man with the fish. Yeah, that's exactly where (laughs) I was going with this. (laughs) Like, very very clearly, like, I don't care if you can catch a fish. Like, I, too, can catch a fish, but I'm not going to put that in my Instagram, you know, uh, whatever. But I think the things that men put on their trucks, I think, is also, (laughs) like, a signal to other men. Oh, man, you're right. Like the the balls yeah, the, that the are hanging, nuts. <laughs> yes, or um, the silhouette of the naked woman. Um, like yeah, they, think, they have to know that that's not hot to women, right? I, I, like you're not gonna get girls. I'd be like, you know what, you know what really drew me to you? It was the truck nuts and the naked woman on your car. Like <laughs> I I saw that and I was like, he's the one. <laughs> right, right. Women perform for the male gaze, but men are also performing for the male gaze. And so, and that shows up in the fish pick on the uh, dating profile. This whole like phenomenon of men holding up fish in their dating profile pictures as if that is something that most women are attracted to. Like, yeah, obviously, yes, there are women who are really outdoorsy, love hunting and fishing and would love that. More power to them. But I would say the vast majority of women, not into that. Not into that at all. <laughs> but also, like, there are there are other ways of showing that is, like, the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I grew up fishing, baiting my own hook. Because, mm-hmm. like, Same. that's, you know, like, that's what you do here. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to, like, if you can fish, cool, but that's not going to be, like, the thing that makes me swipe right. right. Yeah. Like, uh, the thing that's more effective, I think, is a demonstration of your... Uh, personality and your maybe like softness um not like your manliness um again some women are into that i would say the more majority of women are not um like the it's the same thing with like the the gym bro pick like if you have a photo of you like flexing in the gym mirror a lot of women are going to be turned off by that because we think in the way that that reflects on your personality. Like, are you going to be vain? Are you going to be, like, toxically masculine? Um, Are you going to, I don't know, like, be a dolt? Like a a stereotypical gym bro? Whereas, like, men, men put that, that they put the profile picture out there because they are like, my body looks good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's probably, you know, what they expect from women's dating profiles. Like, they don't care about the context of a photo. They want to see if a woman's body mm-hmm. looks good. But yeah, I do feel like it, it is kind of this um, this view viewpoint of, like, the only thing that matters is what skin suit you are wearing. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know. Totally. Um, so the female gaze, then, is, like, seeing people as people? Like, what... What would you, if you had to, like, come up with a theory mm-hmm. of the female gaze? I was trying to think about this earlier because it's like, okay, so if the male gaze is basically just looking at women as objects, then I do feel like to an extent, you know, you can't just flip that because, you know, like... Because well, then you're just objectifying yeah, in the opposite direction. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I do think it, it's kind of... Um, See, I think seeing the humanity, perhaps, seeing, like, 
the person, like you said, as as a person. Yeah. I think uh, the female gaze in direct opposition to the male gaze would still potentially be an objectifying force. And that isn't necessarily our goal. Um, we want people to not be seen as objects, um, unless, you know, it's consensual and that's what they want. Um, but that's a different thing. <laughs> but so I think if we are like unpacking the male gaze, what we would ideally want out of that is for men to be able to conceive of women having like valid, valid and valuable experiences outside of male approval or perspective, right? Yeah, I think that would, yeah, be accurate. Um, kind of this idea of like, this wild idea of like, what do women do when there aren't men there? <laughs> you know, because I, I, I think that oftentimes too, and you've, I'm sure you've seen this in media, this like, kind of this through line or like this thread of what men in TV shows or movies have thought of what women do at like sleepovers. And oh I'm my like, god, yes. Like the pillow know, fight thing? Yes, yes, a hundred percent. I'm like, that is a hundred percent male gaze and I'm like, that is not what's happening. Yeah, I just wanna <laughs> say know? for any male listeners out there who think that women have pillow fights at sleepovers, that's not what we're doing. We are slumming it up, eating shitty food, and talking about yep. how we're gonna destroy the patriarchy. You know, it's not like we're walking around in our underwear and like talking I mean sometimes we talk about boys, but usually it's not yeah. Not the way that you think we're talking about boys. <laughs> nope. It's like we have like zit cream on. Yeah. And like... Exactly. It's not sexy. I'll say it's not sexy, but it is goddamn beautiful. I fucking love that. Okay. So like what, what do you think our relationships would look like um, with ourselves and with like male partners if the female gaze maybe or like a neutral gaze were more prominent in our love lives or like our childhood development? I feel like I, I would have, I'd have hope that they would be better in some way, just because I feel like just as the male gaze is objectifying towards women, I think it's also incredibly toxic for men, you know? Um, it sucks to just look at somebody as an object and not as a, like as like what can this person or not even like what can this thing bring me or or what does it do for me um you know I just I feel like that you could have really great conversations and relationships with somebody if you worked to kind of unravel the the humanity that's at their center if men are operating within this male gaze then and and positioning themselves through that same gaze that can also be horrible for for them yeah it has consequences um i want to say too that like if men were able to see the world from a woman's perspective that like even so simply as like changing a photo on your dating app profile would be like instead of the fish pick you've got a photo with grandma Mm -hmm. or a picture with a puppy because you're understanding that like you are marketing yourself for women not for other men i think the reason that men struggle so much with like understanding the female gaze is because they simply like don't know how to imagine things from the perspective of women and that is like rooted in these like broader social problems of men lacking empathy toward women which results in things like domestic violence and sexual Mm -hmm. assault i feel like if i wasn't 
socially conditioned to position every part of my personality as palatable to men, I probably would have developed hobbies of my own much earlier on. I think women get this like bad reputation for going through almost a renaissance in their late 20s because that's when most women finally begin to break free from Mm -hmm. the male gaze. Like we realize that we can't ever win. Like there's no winning under the male gaze. So we may as well do whatever the fuck we want. And then we start doing that, and men hate it. it that is interesting. It's like you, you like you said, you, you break free, that you kind of, you become, like, who you perhaps always wanted to be or, like, didn't know was inside you, you know? Um, I also think how early you become accustomed or, like, either accustomed to or I, I don't want to say, like, a victim of, um, but I don't know what, like, a better phrase would be, like, um, a recipient, I guess, maybe a recipient of the male gaze, right? So thinking about, like, how old were you when some random guy, you know, first commented or policed your body? Oh, yeah. You know, like, I think of the random kid in my gym class that was, like, commenting on, like, the size of my thighs, you know? Oh, I'm I just hate like, that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm just like, you know, I'm just like a kid going, trying to, like, exist in gym in these mm-hmm. awful clothes that they give us. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like that, that reminds me, that makes me think of, um, I used to be a bartender and so many, uh, and I mean the, the service industry in general is fraught with issues. Um, and one of the worst ones is the misogyny in like the, the service industry culture. And so often I would hear the other, like the male bartenders, comment on women's bodies or the appearances of like the, our bar guests um and something that really stood out to me once was we had a cocktail server who um had like super long beautiful hair and came to work one day and had shaved it off like 99 percent of her hair was gone she looked rad as fuck and the first comment out of my male bartender's mouth was I hate when women do that like they're like her hair is so pretty why would she do that and I I turned around and I was like because she doesn't exist for to make you happy she doesn't exist to be attractive to you she didn't wake up this morning and decide how can I be most attractive to Cameron today you know what I mean Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it, it does become, and again, I think that's like going back to kind of what we were talking about at the beginning, and it's like men need to do the work to like really unpack their own cultural like understandings or constructions um, and thinking about like how did I have this idea or understanding of what it means to be a woman and also like why am I allowed, like, allowed, in, in air quotes, you know, or maybe not air quotes, um, to kind of police women in that way, you know? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, that kind of brings me to what actions can, do you think that we can take to sort of balance out the male slash female gaze in our, like, especially our romantic partnerships? I think, um, let's see... Like, that's, that's like, such a big question, you know? I think a lot of it is in in educating yourself um, or recommending things to um, 
to read or to check out kind of just to expand expand your mind a little bit but I also think um when you can calling out your friends on any kind of bs nonsense that they are um spouting whether it is um you know you're you're not like other girls or any of those like oh do you want to do you want to maybe like go off on a on a little side quest here to explain why you're not like other girls is problematic okay yeah so the phrasing you're not like other girls is um framed as a compliment which then means that the other girls or the other women um are somehow a problem or not enough um and I just, you know, there are a lot of different ways of being women, of being female, and um, you're not like other girls is not a compliment. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like this, uh, if you have to put down my entire gender group to compliment me, I don't want that compliment. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. I also think I wanted to, to add on to you saying, you know, like you hope that, that men especially will take the time to sort of um, unpack how they benefit from the male gaze or how they are um, maybe marginalizing women through the male gaze in their like day-to-day lives and I think that this all really comes full circle to the fact that we know as humanities majors that literature is like scientifically proven to increase empathy in people so and and I'm talking specifically fiction and so if men read more fiction by for and about women they would be putting themselves pretty far ahead of the curve i think yeah i agree um and also i have the book that i recommended you um which is not fiction but if you want a more kind of uh essay driven um foray i guess into this idea of of the male gaze um and Monsters, which is very interesting. You should check out Women and Other Monsters by Jess Zimmerman. You know it's it's not a podcast with or a podcast episode with me without getting a book recommendation. <laughs> Absolutely. So we've got two. We've got Gentlemen Prefer Blondes and Women and Other Monsters. Those are your two primary book recommendations. Yeah. Um, I have I decided that I am no longer interested in consuming any media that is primarily. F- for men. I don't watch TV shows that only have like one female character. I don't watch movies that are like male directed, primarily male cast. Women are only existing to be like sexual objects or like the manic pixie dream girl. Um, I very, almost never read books by uh, straight cis men these days. Um, and, And honestly, my life is so much better for it. But like the media that is geared toward them is not for me and I'm not going to participate in it. No, because the like, media that is geared towards them is often um, not necessarily, like, I, I don't want to say horrible, but kind of horrible. Sometimes, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, towards women. Um, you know, it's like gr- like gratuitous rape scenes or oh God, um, yeah. kind of like just everyday misogyny. Like, yeah, everyday misogyny wrapped up into either the text or the the film or whatever it is, the whatever media that you are consuming. Um, and so I, I understand the the drive to just be like, nah, we're good. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to exit this part of culture. And honestly, I like I said, my, my life has been so much better since I made that decision. <laughs> also, like, there's just, like, especially now, like, there's just so much to choose from. That, yeah. like, you know, like, it's not like you're, like, cutting off your arm, you know? You've got six right. other arms. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs>